Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, the only podcast on the internet where this Mark and this Sarah talk about these particular songs. I'm your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with my favorite little gold man, Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. Uh, Sarah, you are my academy, and I would like to thank you. Oh, that's a gooder. I'm going to I'm gonna steal yours next time. Um, <laughs> that's right. We are talking about Oscar songs today. Not all of them, but just a few. A couple of favorites, a couple of least favorites, and one that seems to defy categorization at this point. So ubiquitous is it. It is like the Oprah of songs, period. Uh, and Mark wanted to talk a little bit about, that's right, Let It Go. Mark, tell us about your thought process in bringing this song to the table for our Oscars music podcast. Okay, well, so for quite some time, my husband and I have had this obsession with songs that fall into the category of talented but tasteless, meaning meaning the person singing the song is obviously talented, but has chosen to inject massive belted notes in places that don't make sense. Like um, Carrie Underwood's song, So Small, she at one point has a line, uh, you're going to find out that that mountain was a grain of sand. There's no reason to belt on the word of. of it's is a preposition. Not, uh, yeah, right. Prepositions are not dramatically necessary. But so, so and, and also. Perfect, aren't they, Mark? Well. They aren't. I, no, I can't. Uh, or like uh, Celine Dion has this incredible version of the song River Deep Mountain High, where she's just just straight up hollering the whole time. And she always sounds good, but. It's also completely tasteless. And so that is how I became initially interested in the Academy Award-winning song, Let It Go, uh, which is from the film Frozen. And I should, of course, mention that we're having this conversation this week because when you're listening to this episode, the Academy Awards will be uh, the very upcoming Sunday, uh, yes. Sunday, February 26th. But to me, Let It Go is such a crazy example of pop culture synergy because it is a song that won an academy award also managed to reach number five on billboard's hot 100 it is a song that sounds nothing at all like any other pop music has really ever sounded it is so musical theater and yet it reached number five on the Hot 100. And I'm even talking about, like, sure, Hello, Dolly by Louis Armstrong was a number one hit, but it was a it was a Louis Armstrong cover of Hello, Dolly. This is the original musical theater-esque song from the film that hit the top of the charts. And I just think it's such an interesting, weird anomaly, just full of nonsensical hollering. And, and I just felt- the effect that it has on little children who were not born like my niece who was two and a half is still like ensorcelled by the song yes and elsa and everything to do with this and like was felt that way before she had ever seen the actual movie and you know i feel like there's probably a scientific study to be done about this because everyone i know who has kids has reported to me that they have heard the song Let It Go upwards of six million times because there's something about it that all children want to listen to it. The Pied Piper could just sing. If Adina Menzel were the Pied Piper, she could have led all the children out of Hamlin. Oh, because... God, yeah. They'd be cleaned out. Well, before we talk about um, before we talk about the song any further, why don't we just drop a clip in here? 
I love it. Yes, let's let's enjoy a sample. All right, here we go. My power flurries through the air into the ground. My soul is thing I want to mention, the reason I chose this particular clip from this song is that it includes the line, my soul is spiraling in frozen fractals all around. I would be willing to bet, though I have not completed my research, that this is the only top 10, nay, top five hit in history that uses the word fractals. I just, I'm going to put I, that out there. I am completely comfortable backing that assertion. So it has to be. But I will say this too, Sarah. And we may disagree here, but despite it all, I also really like this song. I have sung it at karaoke so many times. There is something so liberatingly loud and unapologetically over the top about it. And the melody, it is, it, it's a brute melody. And I kind of enjoy being clobbered by it. But how do you feel about it? Well... I think this might have been the first time that I listened to the original song mm. all the way through versus watching um, like friends, children singing it <laughs> in sure. a Facebook video. And the fact is th I prefer that because mm. even if the child in question is completely tone deaf and is wearing a tutu on her head, in fact, especially under those circumstances, bless her heart. Uh, all of the, focus group market marketing ploy -y feelings around the original are stripped away plus like your average four-year-old sometimes there's glory noting or they're trying to do that but they're not there is a sincerity to it coming from a kindergartner in her you know dime store elsa outfit that you understand the song's appeal mm. much better than you do like i think the I think what you said about the brute melody and like singing it and feeling it for yourself, I think is much more satisfying than receiving it from Idina Menzel, who, as you said, is very talented, but the verses are cheesy. The phrasing is excessively Broadway cheap seats last song before the act break. That's not a compliment. Uh, everything's kind of shouty and this performance does like, it flattens Menzel out, actually. Like, mm. I don't mean she's going flat. I mean, it just sort of, like, crowds her timbre in some way. Um, I absolutely understand, I think, why little girls love it. It is very, um, it, it's an empowered lyric. And there's no, like, narratively, it's kind of all on, it's, like, immediately buried in the red zone. 
Like, there's no sort of, like, quiet build to something loud. Like, remember last week we were talking about, or the week before last, we were talking about Adele's Hello? Yes. And that there was a little bit of a gap between the quiet verse and the warrior chorus. Here it's just all shouting warrior Disney mountaintop. Um, So, Talented But Tasteless is absolutely spot on (laughs) for this song that... Idina Menzel, or whatever it is John Travolta called her. <laughs> oh, uh, Adele Dazeem. Yes, Adele Dazeem. Oh, lace front. You you know, have a seat. Um, she is she is very talented. Everybody knows this. And her, I think when she performed it at the ceremony, I remember being quite impressed with her, you know, rendition of it or what have you. But, like... This doesn't, it doesn't show her to good effect particularly, and yet this will be the, absolutely the lead in her obituary. Oh, yeah. And And all of ours, practically, like, one day, when all songs become one song in the, you know, post-apocalyptic song Battle Dome, this will be the one that's left. That and uh, memories. But the other thing that I just want to mention, well, first of all, perhaps unsurprisingly, given my my livelihood is made writing about the theater. I have, I think, a softer spot for the Act One closing big belted Broadway number. I can I can get behind that to an extent, even if even if it's with a certain knowing grin, if you will. Right. But well, one of the things you know, that assume that Donald Rumsfeld will probably have a softer spot for the average aspect of a Broadway musical than your co-host. Then, then my girl Buncey doesn't. <laughs> doesn't tend to be top of my jams list no but i i feel one of the things that is problematic about frozen the movie of which i think there are many many problems i'll just say that i didn't really care for it but elsa the character looks nothing like the type of person who would make the sound that adina menzel is making there's this she's this (laughs) wayfish blonde woman running through this like not even really running just more like traipsing through the snow in a long dress and then you have adele's i mean adele disease my god you have adina menzel's barn burning voice blasting out of there and it's like girl if if adina menzel stood up in front of this blonde lady and sang at her like this that blonde lady would roll down the mountain girl but (laughs) whatever but i but to sort of expand it out into the oscar category as well which is our raison d'etre today it is worth noting that when composer bobby lopez won an oscar for this song which he co-wrote with his wife Kristen anderson lopez he became the latest egot winner because he is the composer of two he is the composer of two wildly successful broadway musicals avenue q and the book of mormon and then he also won an emmy for writing a song for some children's show so i think he's also he's the youngest EGOT winner, or certainly among them. And that's pretty interesting, I think. I mean, definitely, when I say that it feels like it's, you know, not by numbers exactly, but that it was definitely constructed with, like, an eye to doing what it does, um, that was not necessarily a compliment. The construction of the song does feel rather cynical. Oh, yes. The fact that it is all warrior chorus would indicate that, you know, it has its job to do and its job is not narrative subtlety or balance but i hearing that this was written by an egot winner it does sort of 
give me a more grudging respect for it on that basis. That right. It's like, that, that is a guy who knows how to get these awards for this. So, sure. Good for Yeah. Him. He has mastered... That's taking my money. He, but he has really mastered the contemporary musical theater formula, which is blending a little bit of pop hollering, a little bit of uh, arcana in your lyrics, because Frozen Fractals is not the first time something like that has dropped, even if his wife wrote that line. I don't know. But he has, I, I think he actually mostly does the music. So he has really mastered this ability to mix musical theater bombast with pop accessibility, and it has served mm-hmm. him quite well. And when the Frozen musical comes to Broadway next season and none of us can escape this song ever again in New York City, we will have him to burn an effigy as the frozen fractals of our psyches are blown all around Broadway. Anyway. Um, Well, speaking of um, movies that came to Broadway uh, and songs that we may have to burn an effigy. uh, Yes. We each picked a song that we love that is an Oscar winner and a song that we despise. That is an Oscar winner. So in the spirit of, as we try to do on Mastass, ending on a positive note, why don't we begin with the songs that we hate, specifically <laughs> my, my play in the hatred game, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Tonight! <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing, like, I, I love Elton John, and then... Sometimes I'm just like, oh, Elton John, please. Like, Candle in the Wind, Sir Elton? No. No. But I will lie down in front of a train for Someone Save My Life Tonight, Elton. Uh, or I guess that's why they call it the blues. Or Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, this is not... This is not that. Um, let's hear a small snippet. Not that anyone needs refreshing as to the substance of the song but just to like raise the bile and then we could talk about it a little bit here we go very good Okay. <clears throat> Here, the song itself is not actually that, like, repellent on its face. Lyrically, it is pablum. Um, I think this is the kind of thing the Academy likes. I think this is how sometimes with songs like this, the Academy, like, can remain sort of in a, you know, wonderful past where dr doolittle was the big award winner of the year (laughs) talk to the animals Um, yeah yes oh jesus and that was a contender for my least favorite because that shit and also that's not singing and shut up rex harrison but anyway can you feel the love tonight is um a romantic ballad between lions which is fucked up i'm sorry like i it just makes me uncomfortable that like kitties are singing to each other about how they want to 
fuck each other. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not okay with it. I mean, there are so many different types of pussy on display in a, in a scenario know, like this. It's weird. And then they're, like, rubbing on each other. And then, like, the next time I saw my cat after listening to this to prep for the podcast she's like sort of rubbing on the you know door jam of my office and i was like gross mabel quit hitting on me like it's just weird i don't like it the bridge reminds me of the credits music for a 70s after school special uh but really i think the ubiquity is the is the bulk of the problem and the fact that this is you know now it's part of our, like, Argo, like, can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> like, in headlines and stuff like that. And after after the backing vocals that had their own narrative that we spoke about in episode 45, and, like, my kingdom for some hashtag pipshade, instead of the insipid backing echoing that we're stuck with here, Sir Elton is so self-satisfied and damp in his delivery i just there's nothing to like about it and i don't like anything about it and it is my least favorite oscar song mark how do you yeah and it's interesting to note that this was the last new song of elton john's to reach the top 10 in america uh he he reached number one in 97 with candle in the wind 97 about princess diana but obviously that was not Mm -hmm. a new song it was just sort of a tweak of an old song but this song reached number four. It was the third uh, song from a Disney animated film to reach the top ten. It would be followed by Colors of the Wind, which has much better lyrics, but neither here nor there. But <laughs> Colors of the Wind. Yeah. Oops. Is one of those colors brown? Sorry. Maybe. Um, we've really kept it world. in the gutter today, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> hide your kids. Hide your wife. Uh, but I feel like this song to me, represents the worst of 90s pop music because mm. it is mm. so intentionally inoffensive that it becomes offensive. Yeah. And it's... Agreed. it's frust- That's a good it's way frust- of putting it. Thank you. It's frustrating to think about someone like Elton John who started his career as a blues rocker and then added touches of glam rock, then becoming someone who would write a song like this. And... Fortunately, he's actually, I think, bounced back from this point in his career and is now making this really interesting bluesy albums again that just nobody really listens to. And his next Broadway musical, probably, yeah, maybe. And his next Broadway musical is going to be based on The Devil Wears Prada, which will maybe have some actual queer edge to it, which is one of the other things that Elton John used to have. But this song is so generic and it is it's almost like willfully generic it's almost like they said no this song has been decided as the single and we'll get to this perhaps later i don't want to give too much away but beauty and the beast was the first one of the animated disney films to spin off a top 10 hit with the title song beauty and the beast it was that was the first one of those songs to reach the charts and Beauty and the Beast doesn't sound like it was written specifically to be on the soundtrack, or to be the radio single. You know, like, it actually is connected to the story. And the song A Whole New World from Aladdin also sounds like it was written for the story of the film. But this song sounds like it was created separately and then grafted into the movie because they said, we've got to have a single. And that type of empty storytelling is really heart crushing 
And I remember, too, that even in the movie version, when it's sung by the cast of The Lion King, as opposed to Elton John, you can just feel the... It just stops the movie because they're like, and now a commercial for the single we'll hope you buy. We hope you will buy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's all... It is all very... It is all very cynical. And there's sort of like... There's two conversations about the, you know, audio hotel art type of right song and we'll we'll be discussing another example in my opinion in just a moment but it's like there's how this song gets created and marketed and then there's why it gets voted for right over others and then this is also one where this is one of um a number of examples that you could point to where the song that won the oscar from a given soundtrack is by far, in my opinion, not the best. I was going to make the same point. I completely agree with you, but particularly about the Lion King. Yeah, I mean, not that I'm going to knock anyone down to defend the honor of Hakuna Matata, but I mean, compared to this, like, I'd actually rather have someone scream in my ear <laughs> intermittently <laughs> for three minutes than listen to this again, because at least that would be like memorable and not annoying and not make me feel like I was collaborating in some kind of conspiracy to make America grage again. <laughs> like it's just bad. It's a bad <laughs> well, song. You know, and you know, looking back on it, you talk about lines from this movie that have entered the popular parlance. And I would say Hakuna Matata is something that we say much more even than can you feel the love tonight. And I don't understand how as an Oscar voter, if you're looking at the ballot for this year, which also included the song circle of life, which I think is actually a better song than either one of the other two. Yes, how could, still how not do you, good, but better. But better, and it has an actual connection to the film, and it just has a more interesting melody. And like the, the minute lyrics... you mentioned it, I remember them, you know, the cub being raised. Yes, that's one of the most iconic scenes yeah. from probably any movie of the 90s is is Rafiki lifting baby Simba up into the sky like that. I'm doing I'm yeah. mimicking that with my hands right now, listeners. Me too. We're and then of course nerds. you've got the people in at the beginning of Circle of Life saying pink pajamas penguins on the bottom. Pink pajamas penguins on the bottom. Oh my god. Can we take a break for a one minute for me to tell you an unrelated, well semi unrelated but amazing story? Sure. When I was uh, visiting my husband in Beijing, where he was working on a production of Rent that was being produced by a Beijing musical theater school, and he had been hired to be their vocal coach, I went to the newly opened Beijing Cultural Center and saw an evening of Broadway songs performed by two Americans and two Brits, and then a company, an ensemble of... Chinese and Australian performers. And the first thing that happened was the lights went up on this enormous cornucopia. (laughs) And you just heard the opening strains of Circle of Life. And 40, because I counted, 40 ensemble members were walking out and they were doing this very simple choreography where they just would step out in a line drop down slightly in a squat, step up, and then move over one so that it was just that over and over and over again. And for the entire, like, eight minutes that it took all 40 people to come out of this cornucopia, they just kept doing, from the beginning of Circle of Life, and it was was 
the craziest. I started to feel like I had left my body. I it was like by the t- when you see five of them, you're like, okay. When you get to twenty, it's funny, and when you get to forty, it was the funniest thing I have ever seen. And they were some of them could you could tell knew what was happening and how terrible it was. Some of them were giving you everything they had in terms of their show face. And then I learned later because I happened to meet the choreographer that there was supposed to be more choreography, but nobody would pay attention. So he had to simplify it down to just squat, sidestep, squat, sidestep, and. That alone means that Circle of Life should have won the Oscar. Okay, sorry. That was a long digression, but I had to tell you that. (laughs) Marcus on a crackpot, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Oh, God. So, speaking of Disney, I mean, we have a lot of Disney in the show today, but my choice for least favorite was... I had to give myself some criteria because there have been almost 90 songs that have won the Oscar, and some of them are just terrible. Like, say, You Light Up My Life. or pretty bad. Or the aforementioned terrible song, Talk to the Animals, from Dr. Doolittle. But the reason that I chose Phil Collins's You'll Be in My Heart from Tarzan is that it is insipid, but that it also blocked some incredible songs from winning. But before we yes. get to that, let's just, let's just take a minute to listen to... Oh, God, I tried to make this clip short, but even this is going to be too much. But let's take a few minutes to listen, <laughs> a few seconds to listen to You'll Be in My Heart. Yes, So, as you can tell just from that clip, in case you haven't thought about this musical abortion in a while, this is even more of an example of corporate um, uh, adult contemporary of the 90s than the Elton John. And God, even more, absolutely. That fake, yeah. funky beginning that's like so <laughs> 90s. I know. <laughs> it's like in Ghost World when that woman's like, you'll love Blues Hammer. And Steve Buscemi's like, I want to kill myself. <laughs> that. It's this. Oh. It, it's exactly like that Christina Aguilera Christmas song that we talked about a few months ago. Like that, fa- oh, it, it's it's like you know what? We'll give it a light beat so that when you're in Talbots buying a sweater, this will come on and you'll tap your toes. Fuck! I actually used to like Talbots, and now it's ruined. <laughs> Sorry. No more box pleat skirts for me, Mark. Thanks a lot. And like, I know that it's really popular to bag on Phil Collins, but. N- when Phil Collins was on in the early 80s, his music was awesome. Uh, in the As Aaronite, we have discussed. His yeah, version like, of You Can't Hurry Love. Oh, that's right, from the Supremes Covers episode. So yeah. to, see him, to see him fall to this place is... <sighs> but like his previous Oscar nomination uh, was for... Uh, against all odds take a look oh at me that go. song is great and that song is incredible so and yet he lost what did to, that lose to uh, offhand? of course i do girl who are you talking to it lost okay. to i just called to say i love you by stevie Wilson. oh geez okay well so <laughs> i guess what we yeah, that's bullshit what we're what we're looking at really is that for people of great musical gifts to win an oscar they have to completely sell out their own voice and just write something as generic as possible 
so they can win an Oscar. I guess. Because Although, not yeah. every time, not every time, but sometimes. Well, and this is another one. I mean, he beat Amy Mann with this song. Yeah, that's just unacceptable. He beat Save Me by Amy Mann from Magnolia. Unacceptable. Yeah. and But that's another example where I'm not sure that's the best song from that soundtrack. From that soundtrack. From, uh, from Magnolia? From Magnolia, yeah. What's the one, uh, You Look Like the Perfect Fit for a Girl in Need of a Tourniquet? That's my favorite song. Oh, no. That is Save Me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's Driving gonna, Sideways. It's Not Gonna Stop is the one that I'm thinking oh, of. I guess wise I up. can see why Wise they, Up, that's yeah. called. Wise Up, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, this song is just, again, aggressively generic. It just keeps going. And then at the end where he's like, he just keeps repeating, like, just look over your shoulder. Like, stop stalking me, Oscar song I never wanted that we're now stuck with forever because it won an Oscar. We're like, ugh. And also, this is from the animated film Tarzan. Tell me in what context this type of song makes sense in the movie Tarzan. Oh, right, boo. It doesn't. Ugh. Yeah, like, whose heart? The vine's heart? Right. The vine's like, bye, buddy. Enjoy the big city. And Tarzan's like, you'll be in my heart, leafy frond. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I didn't see the movie. I Here's just, some miracle like, grow for you, my friend. Any excuse to hate the song, but it really... Ugh. I mean, well, and this, this is a song that, like, kicked off the entire Girls Bike Club thing on tomato nation where tara and i were just like joking around that like he never has to work again and so his wife is always like quit leaving your bike in the driveway and <laughs> if you like spent all the royalties that you have to get a paper route yeah yeah it was a whole it was a whole thing but <laughs> amazing <sighs> well i also want to point out that along with save me this song also beat blame canada from south park uh-huh which is brilliant and it beat when She Loved Me, which is the sad ballad from Toy Story 2, where Jessie the cowgirl oh. remembers when she used to be uh, the favorite toy of a girl who has grown up. That song and by And I Randy... still cry every goddamn time yeah, watching that, Toy Story 2 at that sequence. That, so good. That song by Randy Newman is, to me, that it's just exceptional. And actually, that's the song I would have voted for in this. But you know what? Then what happens? Then Randy Newman, two years later, wins for If I Didn't Have You from Monsters, Inc. And then wins a few years later for a song called We Belong Together from Toy Story 3. And if you can't remember either of those songs, yeah, that's right. It's because just as Phil Collins, Stevie Wonder, and Elton John all won for Pabulum, so did Randy Newman. And it's like, you guys, you had the opportunity to award Randy Newman for a good song right in front of you, and you denied it. And it Ugh. wasn't the only time. No, he was he, nominated he, like fifteen times. Yeah, so he was the Lucci. So yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's I think now turn our ears and hearts towards some better material. What do you say? Um, I agree, and I'd like to go straight into my favorite because all the Disney animated film nominees will be together that yes. way. Is a B. The song that we're about to hear is, in my opinion, objectively speaking, extremely cheesy, not that good, lot of glory noting from two people, and suffers on its face from many of the problems that I've accused the uh, previous two songs of suffering from, and yet, 
I goddamn love Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Let's listen to the clip. I managed to confine myself to clipping only about a minute, so let's listen to it now. Mark, I love this song. I don't know what it is. I should hate this song. Celine Dion and Peebo are both over-singing from the get, pretty much. <laughs> Not Peebo! The lyrics are completely predictable, plot-recapping schmaltz, if that. It's not even the best song on the soundtrack. And I think the um, I think Be Our Guest was nominated. And as, um, as was the song Bell. So three songs from this movie were nominated as well. The Casio is um, in my personal space, but there's just something about this song that's like, it's so cheesy and sincere. It's like the Ned Flanders of songs, but <laughs> I, I love it. And we just used to put it on. We'd like come back to our room drunk in college and put it on and sing along to it and like make ourselves cry. We're such weirdos. Hi, Estelle. Email us. Um <laughs> It, and this one is also pretty much all chorus, and they're just repeating. It's like the, a statement of the obvious over and over again, but there's just something about it. Even that like tinkly synthesizer and Peebo's weird orgasmic sounds, like, I don't care. It's like your cousin who was dropped on her head. Like, t you know, that girl ain't right, but you love her. I don't know. I love it. Do you like this song even, or are you just sort of tolerating this until we can talk about your song? It's okay oh, to say I, I love this song because I'm so glad. It's it would be hard for me not to because I was um thirt I was twelve when Beauty and the Beast came out. Quickly after quickly thereafter I turned thirteen. And I was I went to see this movie in the theater with my mom and I was convinced I was too cool for school because I was twelve and this was an animated movie and I thought it was mm -hmm. gonna be for babies and then I was enchanted by it. And this scene where this movie where this song plays in the movie is so lovely. It's that famous scene where Beauty and the Beast are dancing around and Mrs. Potts, voiced by Angela Lansbury, is mm -hmm. singing the song in her little teapot way. And I also, at the time, had started to really develop my taste for divas, which, as you know, is a taste I have yet to wash out of my mouth. Ooh, that's not what... That didn't sound right. Anyway. <laughs> but, that's uh, where we are this week, I guess. 
But at the time, Celine Dion had only had one other hit, which was Where Does My Heart Beat Now? So at the time, Celine Dion was basically an unknown, or at least wasn't someone that you would just assume would land on a soundtrack like this. It was she, a bit yeah, of a... she still had her original Quebec teeth. And hair. And was not with the, yes, was not with the velvet floor-length gowns and the chest pounding. Right, and... And so it was kind of cool for me because I I had bought on cassette tape Celine Dion's first album, Unison. So I felt very cool that I already knew who she was. And I think that this song, even without my memories, though, still holds up because the melody is quite nice. And again, dramatically within the context of the movie, which of course became a Broadway show and is now going to be a live action movie that's going to come out in a few weeks. I think it serves a pretty important function because we need to hear something while Beauty and the Beast are really falling for one another. And I think that this song, you're correct, really is basically just a recap. But I think that the recap actually serves the story at this point in the plot because we need to be reminded of what they have gone through to get to where they currently are. And if we're getting too much new lyrical information, it distracts us from the emotional visual information that we're receiving as they fall for each other. So I think it's actually quite shrewd. They also cleverly sort of get out in front of that issue by, you know, the first lyric is tale is all this time. Yes. Like that they sort of tell you right up front, like there's, you know, there's nothing new about this. This is one of the seven stories. It's probably number two of the seven stories. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Like, here's where we are. And now there's going to be a montage and dancing. And here comes the full moon. And then there's kiss it. Like, here we are. Like, we are. Here comes act four. So, yeah, I'm good with it. I mean, and the. They do it so perfectly. Like, both of the singers are taking the job of delivering this information extremely seriously in a way that both makes it over the top and also very winning to me. I have always loved this song. I will always love this song. Yeah, it's a good one. Yay! Yeah, thumbs up. I really like this, too. Now, speaking of good ones, my choice for my favorite Oscar song is not from an animated Disney film, believe it or not. Um, but, but I do want to mention when you that... Hear the, when you hear it, there's that iconic moment again you will be able to picture. Oh, without a doubt. But I do want to uh-huh. mention that um, it was actually remarkably hard to make a final choice because when you look back through the history of songs that have won the Oscar for Best Song, you have Over the Rainbow, you have... Moon River, so the Judy Garland one-two punch right there, even though she didn't that was sing my, the original that version That was of my number two, was Moon River. Yeah. Moon River is also my second place choice as well, because it's just, like, you, you forget that that song didn't, there was a time when that song didn't exist, and it's hard to remember that that, that, that time happened, but it did. And then, um, you, you know, if you go back through, you've also got, well, honestly, Moon River and Over the Rainbow are in my top five and as well as uh nothing's gonna stop us now from uh wait am i remembering that correctly hold on i've got to just take a moment no it's i've had the time of my life from dirty dancing that's right that beat nothing's gonna stop us now but i've had the time of my life great song um but for me the number one all-time best oscar-winning song is flash dance what a feeling 
co-written and performed by Irene Cara. Let's take a listen right now. I love about um, d- about making this list is that you see some names coming up over and over again on this mm-hmm. list that are never anywhere else. Like Irene Cara, who mm-hmm. was also mm-hmm. on this list for fame. Yes. And thank you so much for picking this one. I don't think I... I'm not, to- I'm not totally sure this is the best song on this soundtrack, but it's right up there. I didn't listen to the whole thing in a long time. It kind of fell out of radio favor for obvious reasons after a while. Yes. This is a great soundtrack overall. And this is a great song. This is one of those songs that's like, it's definitely of its time. It's definitely early to mid 80s, but it's not dated. It's really good. You know exactly where you are in the culture and where you are. is a body double in an off the shoulder sweatshirt having an entire bucket of water dumped on her. Yes. This is so, this is so good. And I love that you picked this. Like, there were a lot of other choices that I, like, I also love Arthur's theme. Oh, yeah. I also love Say You, Say Me. That's just me and not you or anyone else. <laughs> I love um, Take My Breath, I love Take My Breath Away. Uh-huh. Under the Sea was on my list. Yes. Um, But this one, I don't. I don't think this even registered when I was sort of making my list of here's ones I like, here's ones I don't like. But it was sort of like, oh yeah, Flashdance. The feeling was I had no feeling about it. And then it shows up in my inbox as one of your selections. And I'm so glad to have been reunited with the song. <laughs> what an interesting choice. I assume that you have some notes for us about its fellow nominees and what what brought you to this place with it emotionally. Oh, of course. Well, first of all, I can tell you that this song was uh, has lyrics by Irene Cara and a man named Keith Forsey, who also went on to write the lyrics for Simple Minds' seminal Don't You Forget About Me Oh man. from The Breakfast Club. And, uh, you know, that's obviously an incredible song as well. And it, the music is by Giorgio Moroder, who was oh, Donna God. Summer's big collaborator. <laughs> Yes. And old Giorgio won the Oscars just a few years after this again for Take My Breath Away. So he really went ahead and brought the thunder at this time, at this fine time. And yeah, he, I think, burst onto the national consciousness with uh, the score for Midnight Express. Yes, that's right. He won, a, right. he won his first of three Oscars for that. Yes, you're right. Okay. So one of the things I love about this song, I, I one of many... I love that the lyrics are about the joy of dance. And it's just yeah. such a simple, heartfelt ode to the freedom you feel while you're dancing. And 
that's because it strikes me as being so sincere. I accept with such open arms the lyric, I close my eyes, I am rhythm. I just, yeah. l- I just the <laughs> audacity of being like, I am rhythm. It, y- yes, girl. Yes, you are. You have embodied a concept because you are free on the floor. Jennifer Beals left that that plant where she works and she became rhythm and i just there's just something so earnest and wonderful about insisting that you are rhythm and you know it's kind of like uh in into the groove our number one song from the immaculate collection just any song that is willing to be this sincere about the joy of dancing i'm kind of gonna give it a thumbs up because dancing is amazing makes me feel free i am rhythm but I also and think... And this is, I think, what a dance teacher would tell, like, four-year-olds. And it's like, now, you know, be the be the finger symbols. Like, I yes. don't know. Yes. Right, exactly. Like, how else do you put it? There is a there is a, play, there is a point at which synesthetic descriptions fail you. And you're just like, I am this beat. Because that's how yeah. it's supposed to feel when you dance. So Exactly yeah. I right. I mean, it's a terrible and... lyric, but I am so sympathetic to it. Totally. <laughs> and talking about build and how let it go for instance is just all bludgeon this song has such an incredible build because obviously you've got that gurgling synth track underneath it the whole time but the song gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you've got those people in the background in the end going i am rhythm now and irene Kara's vocal she is quite a gifted singer as you can hear in this song because she is able to go from expressive subdued verses in the beginning to just rift out crazy notes at the end but it is talented but not tasteless because it it's the build and you feel like if you've been dancing all night you do eventually get to this point at the end where you're just hollering and people are shouting behind you and it's just a journey that i enjoy being taken on musically because by the time that those people at the end are saying i am rhythm now and she's just like ah, 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 yeah i know it's a totally organic I'm powerless. Yeah, like she's arrived there from somewhere else, and she, you could you could see the you could see the journey. Yes. Versus yes. like, you know, versus Frozen, where it's like we are already on the mountaintop in full voice immediately, which is kind of like not satisfying. It's like kind of porny. Well, and you know, this is making me think too. This is something I'm. It's just occurring to me. A song like Let It Go is one of those songs that is so loud in insisting the singer's liberation, and it starts to feel defensive almost. But in a song like Flashdance, the lyrics are just trying to describe joy, and that isn't defensive and it isn't aggressive. It feels so much more honest. She's just trying to explain why she's so happy, whereas in Let It Go, the singer keeps saying, no, I have let it go, my power. You know, it's like she's trying to convince someone else, but there's something very private almost about the lyrics of Flashdance, What a Feeling, where she's just trying to get it right for herself. And I relate and also, to that. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's also happening on a much more, like, micro level. That it's not this, like, um, not micro. What am I trying to say? In Let It Go, it's much more um, figurative. Like, mm-hmm. I have this power, and then... In Flashdance, it's like, well, I have the power to dance. So it's like, there are specifics. It's concrete, and it doesn't seem quite as put on. You're right. 
Right. And then I guess in the in the movie Frozen, she has the power to shoot snow out of her hands or whatever. But again, that's all very metaphorical as well, really, because no one can actually do that. But we can all dance. And that's nice, too. And it's just nice that there's a soundtrack cut that exists to just tell all of our stories, if you will. Woo, Sarah, I got to go shake a tail feather now. I can't even. Yes. Well, on that note, love for music is a many splendored thing as we see on this podcast every week um and i think uh our outro music this week i'm gonna go with a song my grandmother used to sing to me and uh change the lyrics to k sarah sarah oh oh and before we go a little sad news we are taking a week off but we will be back on march 9th yes so we will we will miss you during the respite, dear listeners, but uh, we will be back with you soon. And Sarah, by the time we return, I'm sure we'll just have many more songs that we have to talk about. We will, and get ready for a barrage of listener requests. Listeners, thanks so much for being with us, and we will talk to you in two weeks. In the meantime, tweet at us, visit our Facebook page, email us. We are still here for you. Go be rhythm, now. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Today's theme song was written by David Gregory Byrne and you can dig more of his chili at davidgregorybyrne.com. If you'd like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for Mark, me, to read your pop chart horoscope, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at talksongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a positive review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choosing. And please download the music you hear legally. Yes. So until next time, this is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this. And this. Is Mark and is Sarah. Mark and Sarah. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.